Welcome to Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. I'm film critic Gary Kogel, and today, a preview of this year's potential Oscar contenders. I know a lot of them we haven't seen yet, they haven't come out yet, but they're on our radar, and there's a lot to talk about that's coming out in November and December. It's going to be really fun. I'm wine expert Haley Hamilton Kogel. It is the best time of the year. And it's not only for films, though, because it's also the time of the year that new vintages from wineries are being released because so many wineries have gotten through harvest and they need to make room in their cellars. So they're they're sending out the, all their bottled wine to, to make room for more. So we've got some pretty great wines coming out. So the fall is good for film and the fall, and the fall is, good is good for, for wine. wine. The, well, any time of year, I think, is good for wine. Well, but yeah. <laughs> this year, this time for, for film especially. I think there are three films that are out in theaters right Right now, so we're gonna we're gonna mention them briefly because we've talked about them on the show that I think are Oscar contenders. Remember, the Oscar nominations don't come out until January yeah. because the Oscars are, are at the end of February. February. Okay, yeah. So I think right now, Jungle Book gets nominated for multiple Oscars. Whether it's a technical category, writing, directing, could be a Best Picture nominee. But Jungle Book earlier this year by Disney, I think, is a phenomenal film, and I I think it resonates f- with people. It's made over nine hundred million dollars. Wow. It's ma- it's almost a billion worldwide. It's Good just job. An, yeah, it's just an amazing thing. But it works, and you know, a remake of an animated. A live-action remake of an animated musical. Yeah. And it's not really a musical. There's two songs in the Jungle Book from the original film, but only two. And they're they're done casually as you're just kind of walking around and singing the song. But I love everything about the Jungle Book. I think it works. The other one is Heller High Water with Jeff Bridges. I think one of his best performances. He won the Oscar for Crazy Heart, yeah. a small little film about a southern guy and a singer. But this is – he plays a – he plays a, 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 a Texas – Sheriff? Ranger. Ranger. Yeah. He's a Texas Ranger in West Texas, out in the Midland area. And he's trying to catch two bank robbers. One played by Chris Pine. I think it's the best film Chris Pine's best performance ever by Chris Pine, who's Kirk in Star Trek. Yeah. In the revisioning of Star Trek. And and then it's also Ben Foster, who I think is great. Yeah. I think all three of them deserve Oscar nominations. Remember, the, the, there's a lot of films yet to come out. But Hell or High Water, if you haven't seen it, run to the theater. Reminds me a little bit of uh, No Country for Old Men, Not as Violent, Just as Smart, a little bit more accessible, and really understands what West Texas is like. Mm-hmm. A lot of unemployment. A lot and of depression days, yeah, recession days. Yeah, the recession days. Mm-hmm. It just, but these kids are robbing banks for a reason, and he's trying to catch them for a good reason. They shouldn't be doing that. But it's 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 kind of an epic, really cool, perfect little movie. The other is Sully. Now, whether Sully ever gets a, a Best Picture nomination, I don't know. But Tom Hanks is so good in Sully, carries the film. It's a Clint Eastwood you're directed. Such a, film. Yeah, you're a big fan of. This I'm a film. big fan of this film, and and uh, I I don't know if it'll. Reach it all the way to Oscar time, but I think Tom Hanks is so understated and beautiful in this film that why not? Why not yeah. Tom Hanks? He's so good. So for last time we talked about Hell or High Water, I paired with a Rutherford cab, which I still think is the perfect pairing. But as we are in uh, Texas Wine Month, which we talked about on a few shows ago, I thought it'd be kind of fun to pair this set of films with this great Texas one, um, with the Texas wine. And we talked about Pedronales before, but their Viognier is one that I love in particular. I think that Texas does really well with these Rhone varieties. I think that uh, Roussan, Marsan, and Viognier, which are all kind of the white Rhone grapes, really, really 
thrive in our Texas soils, maintaining kind of the authentic character of of the fruit, which is lots of white flowers, lots of um, kind of stone fruit notes. So you get lots of peach and apricot, um, but also kind of of tasting like the the earthiness of of great Texas soils. So it's got a lot of kind of soft herb notes, some some. Um, mineralic characteristics, uh, some, like I said, some really great, great stone fruit notes. Just a really, really fresh and interesting wine. I think also with this time of year, it's perfect with uh, like a, a butternut squash ravioli with a little fried sage or something like that, just to kind of wrap in both the kind of harvest flavors as well as those kind of herbal notes that 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 just really, really pop in the wine. And it's a it's totally affordable. I want to say it's maybe $15. So it's a really great wine. White wine, even though I think we are transitioning more into red wines with it getting a little bit cooler, but it's still, it's got nice round. It's round and crisp and luscious and just a good little Texas wine. Pedernales. Pedernales, uh, Texas Viognier. Texas Viognier, is it a sweet? No, I mean, it's it's going to have floral notes and it's going to yeah. have fruit notes, but it's not, it's a dry, it's a completely dry wine. Right. So it's, it's I, I tend to not unless, I mean, obviously when we, when we had our Riesling show, we talked about a lot of wines with residual sugars, but traditionally I kind of go for something that, that is, that is very dry. I just think that that's better. Um, inherently with food and that sort of thing, um, unless you're actually wanting to drink a dessert wine or something like that. I like it. I yeah. like a good Viognier. <laughs> Did I say that right? That's what they would say in hell or high water. Yeah, they probably would. <laughs> Jeff Bridges would kind of get mush in his mouth and you know, order Viognier or something. <laughs> That's a, my bad Jeff Bridges impression. So we're, movies coming out later in the year, in November and December, I'm I'm kind of fascinated with some of the things that's coming up because they're addressing this subject of racial diversity, which has been an issue in Hollywood for years and years. It was highly pronounced uh, this last Oscar season. One of them is called Loving. There's a film coming out called Loving, L-O-V-I-N-D, and it's 1967, and it's the true story of Richard and Mildred Loving. That their last name is Loving is amazing to me. But they were a Virginia couple that went out of state and got married, and they're an interracial couple. He's white. She's African-American. And, of course, they got married in 1967, came back to Virginia, and it was completely illegal in their state. And they were arrested, and it went all the way to the Supreme Court. And I'm I'm just in my head doing the math that really 1967, that was illegal? Yeah, yeah. It, It just makes me angry. But at the same time, it was a groundbreaking um, civil er, case in the Supreme Court, and it changed everything. It stars Joel Edgerton, who's actually an Australian actor, and it stars Ruth Naga, who's actually Ethiopian-Irish, and they're both playing Virginians. And everything about this film looks really interesting to me. Colin Firth is in it, but it's written and directed by Jeff Nichols, who did a little film called Mud, mm-hmm. which I loved with Matthew McConaughey. Mm-hmm. And, and he did Midnight Special, and he did Take Shelter. He's done some really good small independent films. Now he's up into the big time, and, and I think this is one of those movies that I'm looking forward I hope, to. Yeah, I hope it's good. I hope it's yeah. smart. Everything about it looks good. You know, we're talking about films we haven't seen, but when you start looking into November and December, you, you can pick these out and kind of, kind of look forward to them. Another one is Collateral Beauty. Collateral Beauty is Will Smith. And wrap your head around this. It's not a remake of It's a Wonderful Life, but it has some issues that it, the great It's a Wonderful Life, the Frank Capra film dealt with. 
But in, in this movie, um, he plays a, a man who's experienced an, an enormous personal tragedy in his life, becomes very depressed. He's a businessman and he's got his friends, his buddies, his, his, his buddies are trying to help him out. Kate Winslet's one of his buddies and Ed Norton's, in Ed it. Norton's one of his buddies. Michael Payne is one of his buddies and they're all trying to help this depressed man. And he starts doing odd things. He starts writing letters to death. He starts writing letters to love. He starts doing some odd things. And you know what happens in this film? They answer. And they show up. So it's almost like a Christmas carol. Right, right. You know, the ghost of Christmas, yeah. future, and past. And yeah. But Kira Knightley plays love and shows up and confronts him. And Jacob Lattimore plays time. I just wish we would have had more time. Yeah. Uh, Don't we all? Helen Mirren plays death and shows up. And it's, you know, it's about a depressed man who I think kind of finds himself. But if you get online and look at the trailer for Collateral Beauty, I think this is another film that's approaching and, and addressing that diversity issue, but also looks like an Oscar potential looks film. looks just like a beautiful it, film. Everything about this looks good to it's me. It's so fun. This is a lot of what, what to to get an insight into the what, how the Cogill spend so yeah. many nights is just, we sit around and watch trailers, and this one in particular looks really, really good. And trailers are meant to sell tickets, not tell you the truth, but you can trust trailers on trailers on better films near the end of the year. Right. It's, it's in January, February, and March. They tell you, they give you every funny line that you're going to hear it. When trailers will lie yeah. and lie. Oh, they're lying trailers. Oh. In the words of Donald Trump, they're just a line trailer. There's another <laughs> There's another film that comes out Christmas Day, right yeah. around Christmas. Fences. Yeah. Which is an August Wilson uh, play. And August Wilson just is one of the great playwrights of our time. And the original play starred James Earl Jones on Broadway. I was in the audience for that play. Um, and then it was revised recently on Broadway with Denzel Washington and Viola Davis. They decided to make a film. And Denzel directed it. Nice. And they're in it. Rarely do the Broadway actors go and do the film, but these yeah. are two movie stars right. as well as great actors. Right. It comes out Christmas Day. You showed me the trailer yesterday, and oh, it I just mean, it looks has, insane. It, it has looks potential so great. to be the film of the year if it's that good. I mean, August Wilson is such a great writer. You'll cry the whole second half of this. Has and has Denzel directed a lot? He, is, I know he did one film about the Great Debaters, which was shot partially in Texas. Mm -hmm. About the the African American college that had a debate team that went, nice. I think, all the way to Harvard and, and beat them. Nice in debate and that little little tiny college. But yeah, he's he's good. He knows his stuff, and you know, as Denzel gets older, you know, we like him in the Magnificent Seven, but Fences, yeah. Fences That's is the film. And when a film comes out Christmas Day, it just screams at me. Yeah. Yeah. We so, have many friends that that's that's what they do. I, I, Christmas I, night is oh, go see a great movie. That's so. just one of many. But I, they're answering that question now with collateral beauty and with loving and with fences and 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 the Queen of Katwe. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, racial diversity and just diversity in Hollywood at all. These films are jumping out and they all look big. And they they all, all look really good. They all look good. It's we, exciting. Yeah, well, and it's interesting, kind of talking about um, diversity in film because I think it, the the same subject applies a lot to to winemaking. There aren't a lot of African American winemakers uh, in in the United States, really. In in the world. Um, but one in particular has been a friend of ours for, for a long time. And, you know, he's kind of pulling back now, but he has, he's been 
one of the, I'm going to say one of the finest winemakers that that we've ever known and that we've ever had a chance to to try the wine from. And that's our, our dear friend, Mac McDonald of Vision Cellars. And, and Mac is just such, he's, he's, the life of uh, he, he he brings more joy and light into every room he walks into. Um, he's got to be in his seventies at this point. Yeah, must be. Um, he's a very he, young seventies. He is, um, but you'll always know Mac because he always wears overalls. He always wears a straw hat. He. Um, Grew up in in East Texas. Uh, he's, as he likes to say, he's the son of a of a Texas moonshiner that um, first tasted his first bottle of wine when he was twelve years old. His grandfather gave him um, a classic French Burgundy, and and it kind of changed his life. He kind of knew that that he he loved wine and he wanted to to be in the wine industry at some point. He had. Many jobs that that kind of um, eventually led him to where he is now with his his just equally loving and and light of the room wife Lil that um, that eventually kind of put them in the right place in California and in, in the land of great Pinot Noir in Sonoma County to um to make his vision sellers and partner he he became friends with Chuck Wagner who is the owner of Camus you know one of Napa's best red wines and i'm going to say that mac was the only person outside the Wagner family that that Chuck Wagner allowed to come in and and make his wine there the and, only one yeah and in addition to to having this, you know, great facility to actually produce his wine, which he named Vision Cellars, kind of because he and Lil didn't know um, what to name their 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 winery, and and Lil said one day that you've always it's always been your vision to do this, so that's that's the perfect name. Um, but he's built these partnerships with these fantastic, fantastic vintners. And so when when you see a, a Gary's Vineyard or a, a Los Altores Vineyard that from from to be able to get high quality fruit, these these vintners don't just sell to anybody. They you have to kind of have have proved yourself in order to to get your hands on this just premium quality fruit, and and then to make the wine at with you know with Chuck Wagner at his at his uh, winery. And then another little nice thing I've always loved about Mac is every single label of Vision Cellars has a different African American mask, which mm-hmm. is is kind of just because he he loved the the art. Um, you know, I don't know how many if if there were a lot of African American masks on his walls in in East Texas, but he just loved kind of the aesthetic beauty of them, and so each um, each label kind of represents that, which I you know yeah. love him. I know that Lil's one him to retire for a long time so i think they are kind of pulling back but if you if you get your hands on a bottle of vision sellers pinot noir grab it and drink it and enjoy it and we've been with him and had had 10 15 year old vintage bottles and and they're still just beautiful one they're of beautiful my favorite wines. nights on the planet is going to max and lil's house Drinking their good stuff oh my gosh. and just we've talking just, forever. Yeah, we've had such. They're just yeah. they're just dear, sweet, yeah. 
gracious, generous, wonderful friends. Some and of the best ones. Some of the, I mean, it may be my favorite bottle of Pinot in the world. We've had, yes. Uh, it's one of them. They're just they're great, great, great people, great friends, and and really kind of has has made a name for for um, not only himself, but kind of put himself on the map with these, you know, one of few African-American winemakers, but really is one of the best ones. So I just, bravo to you guys. We love you. Bravo to you, Mac and Lil. Hey, when we come back on Wine and Film, a perfect pairing, uh, some more Oscar contenders coming out in November and December. Uh, one from director Ang Lee, one from Ben Affleck, and also a musical that's on the radar that is wowing everybody, including wait. everyone at the Toronto Film Festival. We'll be back on Wine and Film, a perfect pairing. And we're back on Wine and Film, a perfect pairing. Looking forward to films in November and December, potential Oscar contenders. And, of course, we have two big-time directors, directors that have won Oscars before. They have new films coming out, and every time that happens, I look for it. Yeah, you get excited. I'm really curious about what Ang Lee's going to do. And Ang Lee, who directed Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and the great food movie Eat, Drink, Man, Woman. Uh, he did Brokeback Mountain. Yeah. Um, Ang Lee did The Life of Pi and won the Academy Award. Yeah. This guy makes great films. Uh, has a new film called Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk. And Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk is based on a book by a Dallas writer named Ben Fountain. And Ben's, Ben Fountain's book is pretty much legendary around Texas parts, but it also won many, many national Book of the Year awards. It, it, it's one of my favorite books I've read. Uh, it's a difficult book to read, but here's the story. Wrap your head around this. It's about a 19-year-old guy who has just uh, experienced and survived a battle in Iraq. And he comes over to the United States on a PR tour by the military, things they used to do in World War II a lot. And his name is Billy Lynn, and he's got the Bravo squad with him. One of his buddies died in his arms in the attack. He's 19 years old, and the last stop of the publicity tour is the halftime of a Dallas Cowboys game on Thanksgiving Day. Wow. So there you have, you know, the stadium full. It's a national broadcast. The cheerleaders are there and they're all celebrating him as a hero. And it's all his thought process of, I'm not a hero. Yeah. I almost died. My buddy died in my arms. We're not heroes. This isn't, yeah. This and, isn't a good thing. And the book it explores not only the combat that what he went through, but kind of what's going through in his personal life while he's being celebrated and he doesn't want to be celebrated. Mm -hmm. He wants his friend back. All in the middle of a media frenzy. Right. Uh, all in the middle of... <laughs> of Jerry World. Of Jerry World and the Death Star, yeah. which is known as Cowboy, Cowboy AT&T Stadium. <laughs> but I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by this film. So some of the images have been coming out and it's shot in 120 frames per second, which a movie has never been shot in that before. It's high-speed frames, which makes everything look in 3D. Because what is it normally? 24 frames per second. Oh, wow. And uh, I think there's been a couple films shot in 30 frames per second, but they're they're more of a gimmick, mm -hmm. but they're trying some new processes now. So it's an experiment, but yet it's a big Hollywood Can a expensive film. handle that? No. Most of them will have to import some kind of projection system to do it. I don't know how they're going to do it, and probably around do the I country. Do have to wear glasses? No. Oh. You'll watch something, and they call it 4D. It's almost virtual reality, but not quite. But you're not wearing glasses, and you swear they're right there. In fact, you'll start reaching out every once in a while. You'll see somebody enter a frame from another room in a movie, and you'll swear they're in the room with you. Wow. It is the weirdest thing. I've, wow. I've, there, there used to uh, There used to be a process they did in some Chuck E. Cheese's. <laughs> And they, they built little theaters <laughs> in Chuck E. Cheese's and in 
different malls around the country. And I, I remember going and watching it. I'd never seen anything like it. And then they, they all closed down. Yeah. They're just too expensive. But I bet it, it's, yeah. It's a new, it's so a new outrageously expensive? Yeah. Uh, no, it wasn't at all. I, mean, I remember paying like six bucks. No, to but I'm, I'm just like how to, to shoot a film in this. I, I don't know. I think this film has probably a 50 to $70 million budget. So it's kind of mid-level. Yeah. You know, for a film like this. But, you know, it's Ang Lee and it's, and you it's, trust him. it's got Steve Martin in it. Steve Martin's in it and it's got a really good cast, but it's mostly, this is a great director following up the life of Pi trying to do good work and doing something new and experimental, but it's based on a great book. On a book that so, you love. A really good book. And then Ben Affleck has a film called Live by Night. And Live by Night, he's a 1920s gangster in Boston. And he kind of, I think he has a run-in with a mob boss, kills him, and then he kind of starts to take over during Prohibition. Wow. So it's a 20s mobster film written, produced by, starring Ben Affleck. What's the last film that he wrote and produced and starred in? Argo. Argo. And won the Oscar for. And when he... When he makes a movie now, I'm really interested as a director. You know, he's got the accountant coming out, mm -hmm. but he's, that's just an actor for him. But in this one coming out, and I think it comes out about a, a week or two before Christmas, somewhere around there. Nice. It's called Live by Night. I'm really interested in that. So if I'm talking about an Oscar winning director coming back and making another film, what wine do you think when I say Oscar-winning director is back to make another, hopefully, a great film? Well, this is kind of the interesting thing because uh, historically, well, just in general, there are a lot of kind of celebrities that make wine. And we have, we've talked about a few of them. We haven't talked about a lot of them because um, it could be a, a whole genre, in and, <laughs> a whole show in and of itself. We could itself. do 10 shows on celebrities um, and wine. And there, and there are a lot that are, are well, very well known um, that – that I think that you know you can find easily on your shelf. And one uh, is is Francis Ford Coppola. We talked about his his Inglenook property on on a show a couple a couple weeks ago, and I am such you know that was kind of one of my aha moment wines, the Nivon Coppola Rubicon. Um, but he also has his his winery up in Geyserville. We had a chance to visit it when we were out in Sonoma for the Sonoma uh, Wine Country Weekend, and and that. In addition to having a lot of memorabilia in that winery, he also makes a lot of wine. And and his his diamond label, Francis Ford Coppola diamond label, is one that we've seen <clears throat> throughout the years. But he also has his director's cut, and that's kind of um, I think what he wants to kind of have his his signature. I think it's a little bit um, higher tier than the than the di diamond label wines. Uh, has several different um, varieties. Does a Chardonnay? Does Cab? Does Merlot? Does does a little bit of everything. Um, Cab, very juicy. We had it not too long ago. It's um, on the menu right now. It's Studio Movie Grill, and so it's just a nice, easy, approachable, light tannins. Not too, not too um, robust. Just an easy kind of Sonoma County wine. But he did something not too long ago that he introduced kind of a whole new. Um, celebrating Hollywood label series for his director's cut wines he he did for um he has a a jaws label that's that's not like the 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 movie poster of jaws it's just kind of a funny little jaws thing and on his chardonnay and then he has a uh, a wizard of oz label on his cap and it's just kind of a nice little little nod to to great to, to great films and history, which I thought was kind of a cool thing. So when you go back to, you mentioned really early, the Nibom Coppola. Oh. So we had dinner, and I'm just going to say, we had dinner 
We were lucky to get in to the, one of the greatest restaurants in the world. We did. We went to the French, French Laundry. Laundry. Somebody, somebody canceled the reservation. They called us. Yes, we got very lucky. <laughs> and we got very lucky and we went. And what bottle did we take? We took a 19, or a, we took a 2000 Nibon Coppola Rubicon that I had. That was, I think, probably, I had held it for 10 years. So it was, it was in 2010 that we did that. It was fantastic. And it was, that's just a special, special bottle. And that wasn't even like, the best vintage of it, but it, it that was the mid nineteen nineties Nibon Coppola Rubicon was kind of the the wines that that made me say, "Wow, let's let's see how I can get into this profession." Yeah. Um, and and it was, and you know, the corkage fee at French Laundry is not cheap. <laughs> I want to say I paid as much for the corkage fee as I did for the actual bottle of wine. I think it's around ninety to one hundred and twenty. But it was completely worth it because that you better take a good bottle. Yeah, to the French. If laundry. you're gonna if you're gonna bring in a bottle, it better be good. Um, and it was, and, it was and the the entire experience. I think having that bottle because it does mean so much to me, and it is a, a California wine at or a Napa wine in Napa at French Laundry. The you know most iconic restaurant in Napa. Um, Thomas Keller's just done a, an incredible job in in creating such a, a destination um, with the garden across the street and every and and so to, to see the garden and then to taste the food from the garden yeah. and then to, to drink wine that is aged perfectly um, from from fruit grown not too far from there it was it was a pretty cool experience. Well, it meant a lot to me because it, that bottle meant a lot to you. Yeah. And then we got into this restaurant. Yeah, it was uh, a nice. How did that happen? Well, and it, it's such an interesting experience because when you're having dinner at French Laundry, and and though every ounce of you wants to take a photo of every single perfect plate that comes in front of you, you resist it even in this age of social media because you have to respect, just respect the experience so much and and live the moment so much and then the second it's it's the food was incredible but it's probably the best service that i think we've ever had in any yeah. restaurant in in the world it, it, it that was it's one of the two best meals i've ever had in my life apart from our home well yes no it really is it's one of the two best special. i've ever had yeah. i'll also say restaurant at meadowood in napa valley is is a one of my favorite experiences. Oh, let's just keep well. going. Oh, by the way, so uh, we decided not to take any photos of the food and just enjoy the experience. Yes. And right before we got up to leave, probably on our last couple of courses, a big table of like eight comes into the room. They all get out their cameras and start like, shooting like their food. Real cam- like not phone cameras, like like no. big, huge. No. And they weren't journalists. They were just diners. They're, they were diners. We uh, held out. We did well. We, we did. It was a, truly an experience. Oh, what else is going on? Well, two here? films I can't wait to see. One is called Arrival. And Arrival is a Dennis Villanueva film. D- Dennis did Sicario. And he did Prisoners. And now he's going up a notch into the sci-fi area. And it's Amy Adams, Forrest Whitaker, Jeremy Renner. It's a sci-fi film about these weird oblong-shaped spacecraft that start showing up at different parts of the world. One of them in Montana, and they hover right over the ground. And they're huge. But they open up for just a few minutes once a day and at the bottom. And Amy Adams, the military, sends her in because she's a linguist. And Jeremy Renner's a mathematician, and she's going to try to communicate because they don't know if these alien spacecraft are going to blow up the world because that's usually what they do in movies. But in Close Encounters, they came to communicate. communicate. And maybe that's what this is about. So they've had two screenings, one at Toronto Film Festival and one at the Venice Film Festival. And whoever wrote about it from the Venice Film Festival said about halfway through this movie, it read – 
it re it challenges your thinking on anything you saw for the first half of the film and that it's just fantastic. Wow. So I don't trust critics, even though I am one. But uh, I can't wait to see Arrival. Well, we love everything that's a about great this. Cast looks too. interesting. Sure. It's a great director. It's a great cast. I, I it has a sense of wonder to it. So there's an yeah. isn't there another isn't there another? There's one I think called space? Passengers. Okay, and that's uh, Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence and Jennifer Lawrence. Okay, and they're and that's coming out around Christmas, and they're on a spacecraft on a hundred and twenty year journey. Wow, and they get woken up about twenty years into it. Or something like that. So they haven't aged. They're in these sleep tanks. And the the aircraft is huge. It's got a few thousand people on it going to pollinate a new planet. And and they get woken up early and they don't know why. And wow. they meet for the first time and they're the only two. So why why did they wake up early? Who caused that? What's going on? They have to run a ship to themselves, but they want to go back in because this is a 120-year journey. They shouldn't be awake yet. And why did they get in and why did they um, volunteer for this mission in, in the, the first, first place? Yeah, because they all, they both have issues. Interesting kind of sci-fi twist on, on yeah. films this year. Yeah, and then La La Land. Yeah. So La La Land comes out, I think, uh, a week or two before Christmas. It won the Toronto Film Festival. It's a musical with Ryan Gosling and with Emma Stone. Everybody is gushing about this film. Haven't seen it yet. I, I, my DNA is so built for this movie. It's, it's a jazz piano player and it's an actress, both trying to make it in LA in their careers. So it's a, a Valentine to LA, but it also recognizes how difficult it is to live in Los Angeles. And you can be idealistic about your careers and, but the reality of how you live, it's tough. It's tough to drive in the freeway. It's tough to get around. Auditions are hard. He's trying to make records and they fall in love and they're in La La Land and everything about this movie and it's music we've never heard. And it's also, um, a director, um, Damon, I want to say Chazelle, who did Whiplash and J.K. Simmons won the Oscar for that. And I think he's in this. Isn't and he's he? in, he's the yeah. third, he's the third character in it. So everything about it looks interesting. Well, you throw Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone in, in any film and. You know, and they sing, and they yeah. sing, and they dance. And, and there's, she's there's just one. as cute as a bug. She's uh, uh, the, the, well. I like that they did these two trailers also for for the film. So it's like her perspective and his perspective, mm -hmm. which also just kind of makes you makes you kind of wonder and and think about about what. Um, yeah, it's about hope. It looks like both of those movies, Arrival and La La Land, looked like they're about. The future and about hope. And rather than a movie that's just going to beat us down the whole time, even though it's brilliant, like The Revenant, 12 Years a Slave, these are brilliant films. They should be told. But not everybody, not every film needs to be hard right. and difficult. Maybe there is some really great hope here. Optimism. Optimism. Yeah. So what wine would you do with that? So it's interesting as we kind of started thinking about, about this kind of uh, optimism and hopefulness and magic as they do fly around at some point in 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 the trailers for La La Land. Um it kind of made me think of of the mystical magical place of Mendoza, Argentina, which I am am the first time I had a chance to visit Mendoza, I just there was this it's like the air had the air was different. I I don't know. We had I spent some time first in Buenos Aires, which is their their largest city in Argentina, and it's very cosmopolitan, kind of like any other European city. Um, 
very, very cool and, and just an incredible opportunity and, and great experience. But then after a few days in Buenos Aires, we went to Mendoza and it, it was early on in, in kind of my wine travel. So that could be some of it also, but I just fell so in love with, with the beauty of the place with the the hospitality of the people with the generosity um, of spirit that it seemed every everyone in 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 the region had and i think it's because it is a a region that um, one i think the his, hispanic um, community in general they're very kind of gracious giving um, people um, it is a, a a country and a region, I think, as a lot of, of South America is that was kind of built by winemakers and vintners that maybe came from another place and, and where they came from, they could never kind of rise to to maybe be the, the owner of a winery. They might have just been the workers in the winery. And so it is, there are a lot of winemakers that came from Italy and from Spain that that kind of came to Argentina because they they had hopefulness and they were optimistic of their future um and and then they started making just this really great wine and they've endured because we know that Argentina certainly had their economic problems but the nice thing about what is coming out of Argentina today um specifically their Malbec which is their signature grape is is a very high quality high quality wine and and for for years it was kind of made very large production um more quantity over quality and and that changed um i'm going to say the katana family was one of the the real um kind of Chained was the at the the head of trying to change this. Walter Bressy is another one that kind of was at the at the lead of trying to to change um, how wines were being interpreted and how wines were being made. Uh, and and the Catana family in particular brought in Paul Hobbs, which we know from his stellar Napa Valley wines as well as as Sonoma, and and he started a, a Riesling winery up in in the Finger Lakes not too long ago. But but brought Paul in very early on in his career to kind of help them transform how they were making their wines um, and and really kind of started to concentrate more on the on on smaller quantity higher quality um, changing just their production methods changing how how their vineyards were laid out changed how they um, how they how they made their wines to to actually create, a really, really great, still very affordable, which I think that's one of the nice things about many of the wines from Argentina is that they are so affordable and they are so approachable um, with really great, the, the Gatena Malbec in particular, we had one not too long ago that was just filled with all of this beautiful Morello cherry and blackberry spice, dark chocolate, really, really lovely, interesting wines. Um, I will, like I, I mentioned earlier, Walter Bressi is another one, his Brescia winery in Argentina that I'm, I'm so in love with because just to have a chance to, to sit with Walter and, and, and hear him talk about his passion for for the grape and his passion for the land and and his family it's it's kind of like that's the joy of of why we want to of of why of of wine you want to drink and why you want to celebrate some of these winemakers they're pretty special you talk about argentina the way i talk about 
movies I love so much sometimes. I've all, I, I, I have a, I get yeah. real romanticized about yeah. it. It becomes a real romantic view for me. It's interesting too, yeah. because, and we stayed at the Cava's Wine Lodge, which is the most beautiful place in the world to stay because it's set in the middle of a vineyard. You're looking at the Andes Mountains. You have your own little casita with your own little plunge pool and, and, and you just never want to leave. It's, it is. I, I, I'm dying to go back. I'm dying to take you with me. But then I also am kind of worried because I don't want. I, it, I probably do have this very romantic view of of yeah. of this whole of this whole place. But, I think that's a good thing. Oh, I, it's just fantastic. That's why I can't wait to see Lala. I man. know. That's why I'm, I love this time of year. We often have romanticized views of things, and yeah. and, uh, and there's a reality in the romanticized view, and they're. I think sometimes they're, they're the same. I think they're both correct, yeah. actually. And of course, we do love this time of year. Haley, that was really really fun. Talking about movies coming out, talking about wine coming out, wines we love, movies we can't wait to see. Next week, be sure to join us as we discuss a lot more wines and films. As noted, there's sure to be some great ones coming out even right now. And for more on any of the wines or films we talked about today, please check out our blog on our website, cogillconsulting.com, or a link through our Facebook page to see what we're drinking and watching now. Please follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Dallas Uncourt, or Gary on Twitter at Gary Cogill. And with that, I'm Gary Cogill, and as usual, I'm looking for the next great film. And I'm Haley Hamilton Cogill. I'm always in search of a great glass of wine. Join us next time on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing.